Mark chapter 2 <laughs> and verse 1. Are you ready? Wipe out everything in your mind. Ask God to clear your thoughts in your heart, your mind of all the problems, the things that you've gone through, every success and failure. When you read the word, try to take into captivity every thought of your spirit and your heart because the word of the Lord is for the church today. And again, he, meaning Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days and it was noised that he was in the house. Man, can you imagine what will happen if people found out that Jesus is in the house? I just want to tell you, when we get him in the house, everything begins to change. There are not enough services and enough seats and enough room when people find out that Jesus is in the house. Going to have to make room for Jesus now. We have to make room for people, but if we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. If you don't have the Lord in your house, all you have is a social club. If you don't have Jesus in the house, all you have is tradition, form, and formality, and ceremony. we got to have Jesus in the house. I could just pause and preach every, every day. i got to have Jesus in my house and in, your, and in this house. It's not a steeple or a cross that makes a difference. It's not a sound system or a music department that makes a difference. It's Jesus getting in the house and us getting close to him. He said, and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. That means that Jesus is the greatest church growth program ever invented. You couldn't give away enough gift cards to compete with the presence of the Lord in the church alright that feels good let's just go home no 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 wait, 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 wait and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them no not so much as about the door and he preached the word unto them I would have loved to have heard his preaching and they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they climbed up the side of the house. They uncovered the roof. They tore the roof off where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Today, I'm led to speak to this. And for the body of believers that gather here, and I pray that the Lord will help us. We need to know this born of four I pray right now Lord that you would guide the church there is a great work a greater work for the members the saints the believers of this house to do and I pray right now in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that you would guide us we rely upon you in Jesus name and everybody said amen before you're seated turn and say something very pleasant and 
generous to the person close by. is a writer he was also an apostle we'll go back to him in a moment but he will say of himself that he is a chief sinner even though he'll write 13 books of the New Testament and maybe 14 because no one knows he wrote the book of Hebrews, but it sounds like Paul's writing. He's careful in his self-description. He probably wouldn't connect with the Instagram crowd. Probably wouldn't. I brought Roman in to see the doctor this week and she was asking him about height and weight and taking his blood pressure and I said, how, how tall are you, Roman? And I was complimenting Roman for his height. <laughs> she said, when ladies come in, I usually have to weigh them to get the correct weight. But when men come in, whatever they tell me, I, I subtract one inch from their height. <laughs> I said, really? She said, yes. I don't know how much a lady, a woman weighs until I weigh her. And whatever the man says, however tall he says he is, I just write down one inch shorter than that. Paul is very careful with his self-description. He doesn't inflate it. In fact, even though he is brilliant and he's a learned man, he's educated and he understood the writings of philosophers and other theorists in his day. He was careful. He debated with philosophers on Mars Hill. That was Athens, the great minds of their known world. He argued the gospel of Christ before kings and magistrates, King Agrippa. In fact, he was so profound in his presentation that even as another leader there, Festus, was interjecting ad hominem arguments, Paul kept a level head and still argued for the gospel of Jesus Christ, even convincing King Agrippa. Paul was skilled. Before he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, he was a zealot, he said. He was a Pharisee, a military leader, and a man of influence. He's writing to the church now in Galatia. He's established these churches throughout Asia Minor. He, he'll give instruction to people as a pastor is to, to a congregation. And in one particular writing, he, he denotes a law. It's very similar to the law of our lands, that if you break the law, some laws will not be espunged. Some will not be passed off. You don't get a warning for some of these laws. 
And Paul writes, as he mentions, how to fulfill the law of Christ. And he writes this word. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. The verses could be dissected, I guess. They could be individual thoughts, but in the critical mind of the scholar, he knows that it is a full thought without really a period or a punctuation. Carry each other. And when you do, you'll satisfy the law of Jesus Christ. Because if you think that you are independent, if you're too good to carry, then you just deceive yourself and you become nothing. Your qualifications in the, in the form of the weight or the struggles of others are found in your hands. So you qualify yourself. And you fulfill the law of Christ. And if you don't fulfill it, then you can think of yourself in any way, but you're really nothing, Paul writes. And of course, the church in those days needed to hear that because many of them were so greatly oppressed. They weren't just in the minority in their community. They were outcast. They were openly ridiculed and persecuted for their identification with Jesus Christ. Paul, in fact, was stoned Lystra, left for dead at the delight of the people. James was run through with the sword. Peter and John were often beaten just as a means of interrogation. The early church could not rely upon outside help. They had no one to sponsor them. No one was sending them money. No one was helping them. They were alone and by themselves, and the church had to rely upon the church. Rome, the empire, was uncaring, brutal, and the Pharisees were aggressive. In fact, the early church was seen as people who were leaving the law of Moses, disbanding the very things that, that they had built up. They, they welcomed Samaritans and Gentiles alike. So in that respect, all of the Jews hated the early church because the early church was inclusive, but they were also exclusive. When it came to people, they welcomed everybody. But when it came to doctrine, they were exclusively preaching the name of Jesus. The early saints didn't have the luxury to live and let live like so many people have today. They were constantly under attack. And those in Jerusalem would soon find greater tribulation than they could handle and it dispersed them like a big foot stamping down on an ant farm or an ant hill and all the people were scattered throughout the known world. God allowed them to be persecuted so that they would be forced to leave the confines of the city of David. The good news is that the gospel was preached all over the world. Antioch became the epicenter of a worldwide apostolic revival. Even still, Paul would often address the churches scattered abroad. He would thank them for their faithfulness that they stuck together, that they had each other and they cared for one another. It might have been by default because no one else was there. If they, if they didn't help each other, no one would. And we preach what the apostles preached. We preach and teach what Paul taught. In fact, Peter had the first sermon of all of the Bible when the church was born. He preached Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
But there are verses that come after that first message that shine light on the operation of the body of the church. Here they are, and I read them to you. And they continued, verse 42, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They broke bread. They ate together. They prayed together. Fear came upon. That's awe. Awe came upon every soul. They were filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And here it is. And all that believed were together. And had all things common. They had all things common. They sold their possessions even. And their goods. They parted them to every man. As people had need. What the early church had then. Is what the modern church so desperately needs now. They had all things common. I'm wondering. If we have too little in common. I say today we are responsible for one another. If you sit on this side and you look at people over there, you're not removed from them, the Eastern and Western Hemisphere. I want us to look outside this building, and we will, but for a moment, look around this church. That's your brother, that's your sister, you're responsible for them. And the way you treat them is the way the Lord decides how you're going to treat him. If they're treated poorly, he's not pleased with whatever you say to him. In fact, he receives your word toward them before he receives your word towards him. I know a lot of people who love the lost, but they don't love the church. I know a lot of people who care about winning people to the Lord, but they have no concern about those who are already in the house. We, we have a lot of things, but do we have things in common? Listen, I, I, can, I, I can do anything. I'm good I like Jeff Gordon, but he retired. I don't really know anybody. Dale Earnhardt Jr., right? Kevin Warwick. Huh? Don't those guys just drive left turns the whole day? Don't they? I've often said if, you, if, if I offend any NASCAR people, I just turn right. <laughs> they can't follow. I, I can do that. I, I can take up fishing. I can. I mean, I like to fish, but the last time I fished, it was in a stocked pond in Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, you got to be insane not to catch a fish in a stocked pond. In fact, the owner came out and started feeding the fish with his big machine so the fish would come closer to the shore. If you could just call them and just jump up into your net or whatever that is coming. I can do that. Nico loves fishing now. He's a fisherman. He does it all. He forges knives. He fishes. He does the whole thing. He can do it. He got a new fishing pole. Every time he goes to Walmart, he's got to have another, he's got to have a lure. I said, Nico, we don't, you don't even have a place to fish. He can catch one lure with another lure. In fact, he made his own lure, filled up the bathtub 
That cost about $15. To just to see if the lure would just float along. And he's in our bathroom, filled up the bathtub with his fishing pole, just casting in the, pool, in the, in the bathtub. If I show up at your house delivering Domino's pizzas because I'm trying to pay for the fishing lures that my son has been purchasing at Walmart. We can do that. Problem is that we become so divided that we have very little in common. I tell you, people who are oppressed and persecuted stick closer than people who have no trouble. brings me to my text and to the title of born and by this time that i read jesus is already a very popular figure with the shortage of medical supplies and some primitive means a doctor is in high demand someone who can heal is beyond the realm of comprehension even in our day but especially in there as people would journey for miles just to find healers we're, we're led to believe that the, most of them did not understand the significance of his presence. They came to be delivered and fed and healed and restored to their physical afflictions. And who could blame them? If you had an incurable disease, leprosy or palsy or blindness, or you heard that a man could heal you, then you would do whatever you could do to reach that man. So the fame of Jesus Christ had spread quickly. It noised abroad, the Bible says, throughout all the land. And we are witness to a painted portrait of a lame man who is bound to a bed. He who is carried must be carried until. He could not reach Jesus by himself. It's the great truth of all time. He has no strength. He is inept. He's weak, unable. If he is to get to Jesus, someone must lift him up and carry him there. He who is carried is carried. There is no way around it. It takes more than one and a principle emerges that has taught me the operation of this body of believers. Four men will make the journey to bring him to Jesus. But, of course, the Lord attracts so many people. And wherever they come from, it is unknown. But these four are late. Of course, it takes time to carry someone. Time. Other people arrive early. Others come and fill the place so the house is full. The Bible says even around the door, there's no room to gather. If windows or any other openings in the house existed, they too are packed with people leaning forward, anxious to hear and see what's happened inside. Children fill in the small gaps like sand in a jar around the large rocks. There is no room left in the house. It's packed. All who have come are being healed. All who hear him are being taught. He's preaching a sermon. It's no wonder why they all have come. The Lord is unique. Jesus is a healer and a preacher and a teacher. He is in high demand and for good cause. There is no one like Jesus of Nazareth. He touches people and diseases just completely vanish from them. The lame are now found walking, the deaf are hearing, the blind. There are no MRIs or CAT scans, ladies and gentlemen. Cell migration and those procedures, diagnosis machine, all those things that we take for granted are absent from their day. His hand, his voice, one word from his mouth and people are raised up from the inevitable. That's why all the crowds are rushing to him. And they come quickly. They're running to find Jesus, to hear him, to see him, what he might do for someone else or for themselves. Someone in a feeble state will have their lives changed forever. The four have been en route, but they just can't keep up with the crowd. 
It took four to carry one. They had to balance him. They had to lift him over rocks, maybe stumps or fallen trees. They had to go through some value. It was a long way. They might have paused for short breaks. Maybe they had to retighten the ropes so he would not slide off. They had to rearrange the blanket that held him secure. They were doing their best, but upon their arrival, it was clear that they were too late and could not get through to the Lord. No one was going to give up their prized spot to make room for the man with the palsy. Too many people and too small a place. Too many desperate men and women vying for a moment with the master. I submit that the four had the right to go home They had done all that was physically possible. The palsying man was born of four, carried, helped, balanced, and secured. But they could have turned around and gone home, and no one would have blamed them. They did their best, and it just did not work out for them. But I suppose that when you carry someone that far, and you go through as many obstacles as they surely had to go through, You just don't take no for an answer. You improvise. You text and you call. And you send a letter. And you love. And when you've gone through enough, you don't just let it sit idle. You still reach out. Because you cannot come to grips with just laying down all the labor in your work to get him to that point. Heretofore, no one had ever torn off a roof to get to Jesus, but the crowd did not suppress them because they had an idea. The mass of the other people did not discourage them because they had come too far now to give up on their friend. The Bible says that they climbed on the roof and they tore it off where Jesus was. They removed the tiles. They broke it up. They dismantled the house. And they let down their friend to where Jesus was standing. Think of it. They lowered him down to Jesus. They were bringing him. He's the one with the affliction. He's the one with the need. And I present this today in the Holy Ghost. The lame man, when the Lord looked up and saw what was happening, the lame man is no longer the subject. He might not have been the subject all along, but now we know he is not the lead character. In fact, Jesus doesn't even comment on him. He sees the man with a palsy, but he's not the one of whom Jesus takes notice. The Bible says Jesus saw them. He took notice of them. His mind was on them, not on him. Think about that for a moment. He saw them carrying him. In fact, Jesus only regarded him as a sinner. So, to make clear, they were carrying a sinner to Jesus. All that way. They might have thought they were carrying a sick man, a disabled friend, so they could, he could be healed. But Jesus called him a sinner who needed to be forgiven. It took four. He was born of four. One man needed to carry four to lift him and let him down. He was born of four men who are driven to connect him with Jesus. And upon that connection, the Bible says this, and I quote again, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, you need to be forgiven of your sins. Laser. 
He didn't see the man's faith, not the faith of the man who was sick and could not walk. Jesus saw the faith of the four and I moved him to do what only he could do. Only Jesus could forgive sins. Even the Pharisees knew only God could forgive sins. Who are you to do this? They thought it was for his healing, but their faith provoked the Lord to be the Lord of all. Listen, in the night last night, I don't know how, I don't know how it happens or why it happens, but I dream these words. God puts thoughts in my brain and I can barely sleep. And in the night last night, the Lord spoke to me. You can take it any way you want to. I'm just telling you what the Lord spoke to me in the night. I don't know how he talks to you, but, but this word, he says things in my brain and in my heart and stuns me and wakes me up in the night. He reminded me the Lord spoke to me and this is what the Lord spoke to me. When I saw the four when I saw them it reminded me of me they were carrying a man with sin they were carrying sin and sickness and Isaiah stood up and wrote the prophetic word of Jesus Christ hundreds of years before the Lord he said surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and we had steamed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted when I saw the four, they reminded me of me, how I carried you. I'll tell you, when the church becomes the church, the church becomes the body of Jesus Christ, when we remind the Lord of himself. Yeah, yeah, I think you ought to clap your hands. This is the moment you ought to thank God. You ought not be sitting there and just basking in the fraud. You ought to be thanking God for the reality of it. Because you didn't get here without someone carrying you to a Calvary and a hill and a cross and a Christ. And I ask you, who is going to help him but them? Who was going to make the connection but them? One could not. One could not lift him. What could not carry him? And for this particular man and his place, maybe two couldn't really handle him. Jesus would have gone by if they had just two, but it took four. In this particular case, it took four. If they ever arrived, maybe Jesus would be gone, but it took four. And three couldn't balance him. He would have suffered bodily damage if they dropped him. It took four to balance the man's burdens, to bring him all the way. It took determination and perseverance. And they had a good intention. We're going to see if he can be healed. But the Lord saw their faith. He didn't commend the man who was the palsy. He didn't pat him on the back. You're a sinner. I saw their faith. I'm going to do something that nobody else can do. Hear me. I believe that people can be healed of any sickness and disease. But we got more prayer requests for people to be healed of sickness and disease than we do for people to be saved. Because we believe that God can heal them, but we're not so sure that God can save them. And I would say to you, before you pray for anyone to be healed, you ought to pray right now that their soul would be saved and their sins would be forgiven. Hey, I pray that you're healed, but I would rather you be saved. I pray you'd be delivered from the sickness, but I'd rather you be saved and your sins be forgiven. 
And if you want to know what the operation of the body of Christ is, is to bring sinners to Jesus Christ. I know he can heal, but he didn't just come to heal. He came to save and to seek that which was lost. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, church. I'm talking to the church today. There's a whole whole world of sinners that are dying and going to hell. What are we doing? What are we doing? We got to have something in common here. Yeah. Saul has his first encounter with Jesus Christ. His name is going to be Paul. So if you're not familiar with this, his name is going to be changed to Paul. He starts out as Saul. He's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Christians. He's very zealous for the work of God. In fact, he gets permission slips from the from the leaders to go to Damascus to enslave, imprison, beat, destroy more Christians. Saul, his name is going to become Paul later after his conversion. And on the road to Damascus, the Lord appears to him and there's a voice There's a light shining. His eyes are blinded. Scales appear over his eyes. He's blind. They lead him to a house, a faithful man named Ananias. This Ananias is a priest, but he's he's also a believer in Jesus Christ. And when they bring him, and they're bringing him, Ananias is, is struggling with this. This man named Saul, who would become Paul, because this is a vicious man. But Ananias is commissioned by God to teach and to help this new convert, Paul. And when they brought him in, Ananias picked him up. Started the process of carrying him. And he prayed for him. And then he laid his hands on him. And then Paul received his sight and was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then, and then Ananias said, you need to be baptized, wash away your sins, By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And he did it. The sins of Saul had to be removed. But Ananias wasn't enough. He was alone. So though we know him as Paul now, Paul needed help. He got right out of the box. I mean, the end of Acts 9, he starts preaching. But other men and other people are rejecting him. They they needed a little time. It was too soon. Paul wasn't ready. He was not grounded. He was not established. He needed to be established. He was excited, but he was not established. That's every new convert. Every new convert. Got baptized, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, ready to go, but not grounded. And not only that, but now the Pharisees hated him. He turned their back on them, and all the religious men hated him. Watch this. From Acts 9, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join to the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They were skeptical. And it's the same guy who imprisoned their congregation and who beat them and who took things away from them. And now, who's going to carry Paul? He's a danger to them. Ananias was one, but he needed another. The men were afraid. And then up stepped Barnabas. And Barnabas vouched for Paul. For Paul, because Barnabas picked up Paul. It was, a, it was a good thing, but it was just good for a moment. Paul still needed guidance. Paul left there with some support because he was riding on the credibility of Barnabas, not on himself. But of course, that ran out in time. And then Paul finally found himself in Tarsus, 
The Bible says it like this. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek for Saul. And the Bible says when he found him, Barnabas took him, watch this, and taught Paul for one whole year. Yeah. He picked him up and carried him for one whole year. When you scroll through the New Testament, you're going to find that the roles will be switched. And Paul will be carrying the luggage. I'm sorry, Barnabas will be carrying the luggage for Paul. Paul will step out in front of Barnabas. <laughs> because Barnabas doesn't care who gets the glory. He knows I picked up my brother and I carried him to establish truth. And the tables are going to switch. And no longer is it going to be Barnabas and Saul. It's going to be Paul and Barnabas. And Paul's going to take the lead. That is the operation of the church that your student can teach you. Oh, no, now. Don't go there, Pastor. I've been in this a long time. I've, I've had this truth a long time. I'm going to tell you right now, there are students being taught in the Sunday school class. There's going to come a day they're going to walk out here and they're going to provide truth and revelation you've never heard before. And you're going to say, you mean I've been in church all this time and I didn't know it? Your students is going to be your teacher. But they're not going to get there until you carry them. If you're not carrying them, they can't get there. They've got to be carried. They've got to be picked up. They've got to be loved. And they may go through some hard times. And they may go through some down times. But if the church will be the church. Oh, no. Hey, I'm preaching it. But some people are already angry that God has chose to use their student. I'm not afraid. I'm ready for some young people to get up. I'm ready to carry the luggage. I'm, I'm ready to carry their Bible. I'm ready to carry their backpacks. I've got to hear from God so the gospel can be preached and people can be saved. Look around, look around, look around, look around. That's your brother. This is your family. Uh -huh. That's your family. This is your family. This is your house. This is your loved one. What are you talking about? Here's my dad. Here's my dad. I got fathers in the church. I got, I got elders in the church. Here they are. Here are the men in my life. Here's the men. They're teaching me every time I can. I, I didn't get there today, but I go to morning manna. I sit and listen to Brother Foster because he's teaching me something. I'm going to preach later on, but before I get there, I've got to be fed. I want to hear what you have to say because I know that you're going to feed my life. Come on, somebody. You gotta carry your brother. You gotta carry your sister. And if you can't carry in here, nobody's coming. In Jesus' name, I'm feeling. A f I gotta be born of four. I gotta have four. I gotta be born. I've, something's gotta happen to me. Someone's gotta pick me up. And I've gotta pick someone else up. This is the word of God. It's the word of God for our church right now. Come on, watch. This is the operation of the church. Do you believe in new birth experience? Of course. Do you believe in baptism? Yes. Do you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in separation of the world? Yes. Do you believe in tithing? Yes. I got all that. But we are most like Jesus when we are lifting each other up. That is the law of Christ.
I don't know how many people carried me. Elders, my parents, mothers in the church, Sunday school teachers, preachers. There were rebukes and corrections and seasons where I had to sit and listen. And if you know anything about sitting and listening, for a guy who's somewhat hyper, that's a hard thing just there right now. Just That's why Tammy likes me to go to conferences. She wants me to go to those conferences and sit and listen. And if it's a long sermon, then she says to me, now you know what people feel like. I don't know how long ago it's been, maybe two or three years ago now. We had a marriage retreat. We're going to have another one next year. We, have a mar- we had a marriage retreat. And we asked Brother and Sister Shock. It took me a year or so to get them to come here. And they were in transition in their own lives. Brother and Sister Shock, renowned people all over the world, leading missionaries, spending time, even, even in this last couple months, all over Europe and training missionaries and helping them. He's, he leads pastors. She's a writer, Greek and Hebrew scholar. Eat This book is one of the most profound books that she's ever written. They're, they're phenomenal people. And we had them for a weekend. We had a great weekend. And they came here and we, we just started to show them what we were doing. We were walking them through the ministries and the operation of the ministries. And as we were walking through all the ministries and what we were doing... And, and in the Sunday service, it was wonderful. And they were saying, this feels so good, so natural. They were scratching their heads. What, what, this feels so right. What, what, what is this? And I went to this place and that place and talked about it. And I said, well, you should feel good because Tammy and I sat at your table. We went to your classes. We learned from you. And your fingerprints are all over this house. That's why it feels comfortable to you. Because this is what you taught us to do. Nobody gets to Jesus by themselves. Teaching and guiding and being led is in the plan of God. And it's the operation of the body of Christ. This is your family. The last thing you want to do is hurt your family. Unless something's wrong with your brain. Okay. Let's go down that road. Because Peter didn't get to the Lord by himself. Peter did not. I'm going to tell you right now. Peter had an attitude problem. Andrew was the sweet one. Peter was the rough one. Andrew had pleasantries always trying to find a solution. Peter was always trying to cause trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nobody had any food. 5,000 people, not counting women and children. We don't have any food. Let's send them home. Jesus said, no, we're going to feed them. Andrew goes out looking for food, brings back a little boy's lunch. That's Andrew. Andrew's connecting. He's connected. We're, we're going to get this together. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what these are among so many, but here you go, Lord. I'll let you figure that out. I'll just bring the fish and the loaves. You figure it out. I don't know how it happens, but I'll just give it to you, Lord. That's right. Andrew is one of the first of the two that are called by Jesus to be a disciple. He's so excited. He said, he goes to his brother Peter and said, you've got to see Jesus. He is the Messiah. We got him. I don't know if Peter's skeptical, but it does look like that when I put all the gospels together. It looks like Peter's a little skeptical. He's not an instant believer. He's a skeptic. 
But Andrew already know the disposition and the temperament of his brother. Before Peter ever came to Jesus, Peter was brash and harsh and critical. He was a cussing fisherman. He knew how to cuss. Mm -hmm. So when he denied the Lord, the Bible says he swore a solemn oath. He swore. I take that literally. I don't think he put his hand on a Bible and said, now I pledge. Before my fellow constituents, I think he cursed just to show he wasn't like Jesus. <laughs> he, Andrew knew the low moral condition of his brother. We all know stuff about our brothers and our families. Oh, man. We know stuff about our families. We better never tell. And we know stuff about our families that make us think they'll never be saved. Don't, I've even had people say, don't, don't waste your time with that person. They're related to me. They'll never be saved. Just, just so you know. Before you disqualify a family member because you know they're dirt, I want you to know this. Jesus can save anybody. You didn't save them anyway. My job is not to qualify them for entry. My job is to carry them to the door. <laughs> Andrew knew the character of his brother when Peter came to cut off the ear of Malchus in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Lord was being taken. When he cut off that ear, Peter wasn't out of character. That was his character. But before it all began, Andrew believed that if Peter could just meet Jesus, something would happen. And Luke 5 says it. He needed, he was there preaching and, and Peter was not yet with the program. And he needed a little distance. The people were coming and he got into a boat. He got into Peter's boat and he said, just push back a little bit. I just need you to push back, thrust out a little bit. And, and so I can teach the people. And, 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 and when he had stopped speaking and the people start to dissipate, he went to Simon Peter and said, why don't you go to the deep and let down your nets because there's going to be a great, a great harvest here, a drought. And Peter begins to argue. He's arguing with Jesus. Jesus. And he said, well, Lord, listen, I, I've been out there all night. I know what I'm doing. And we had nothing. I'll do it if you want me to do it. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm compliant, but not with joy. Uh-oh. I'm a disgruntled, obedient man. <laughs> I'll do it, but I don't want to. Oh, oh boy. We'll get to that. And when they had done it, they enclosed a great multitude of fish. It was breaking their nets and they called over all their partners. And they said, come, come, get some fish. They filled both boats with fish until those boats began to sink because the weight of the fish. And now watch verse 8. When Peter saw it, he fell down at the feet of Jesus. He's grasping his knees. He said, you got to leave me alone. I'm a sinner. <laughs> you see, the miracle provided a door for confession. I believe we can reach the lost. I'm wondering if we can reach one another. I believe we can, we can 
bring new people into this house, I'm wondering if we can love the people that are in the house even right now today. I want you to know someone over there, you have a responsibility to pick up someone over here. And we got to start carrying each other to the feet of Jesus. And when the Lord sees us carrying one another, we're going to then start looking like him. We can carry many things, but nothing looks better than when we lift up one another. How many of us will it take for us to have a unified body? Because unity comes from the absence of opinions. Unity comes from the inclusion of all people and the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's a journey to get to heaven. I believe you can't bring anyone into heaven, but you sure can help them on their journey to get there. I'm asking questions today because it's a query worth asking. My friend needs Jesus. I know that he needs the Lord. And even if they don't believe, I have an obligation to have faith for them. I'm believing for people that sometimes don't believe in themselves. Mm. I know how this works because I've been in this all my life. I've seen Pentecost and apostolic movements all my life. I understand how this works. I know subcultures happen in the church. And I rebuke those subcultures right now. Listen, hear me. If we say together, we're all going to love fishing. I expect everybody to either buy themselves a fish Start going to the fish market, eating tilapia, get something that makes you recognize you as a fisherman. Get one of those fish that you can put on the wall, push a button. They talk to you. Get you a rod and a, wheat and, and, and a reel. Get you some bait and some tackle because we're all going to do it together. But if you say, I don't like that and I'm not going to do it, I'm going to tell you, you just divided the church. The church can't afford that. If we say we're all going to come to worship, why don't we all come to worship? If we're all going to praise God, we're all going to praise God. We got to have one another. This is the operation of the church. Watch this. If we say we're going to love one another, but people don't love one another, it destroys the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have faith for you. Even if you don't believe that you can do it and you can make it, I'm standing up here today to say, I'm bringing you. I'm going to carry you. I'm not going to do it by myself. But I know there's brothers and sisters. We're going to work together until he comes. Let me tell you why churches don't grow. Churches don't grow because there's too many individuals in the body. And people feel worthless because they don't have a position. But Paul wrote, even the most uncomely parts, they're beautiful. They're necessary. You may not have what someone else has, but you are part of the body of New Life Fellowship. And you are critical to the operation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, I'll tell you another reason why the churches don't grow is because we are afraid to give honor and praise to any individual. Go find out the word praise. It's to meet the thanks. It means to lift up somebody. It means to, it means to recognize them for what they have done. It's not worship. 
praise is not worship. Worship is, 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 is recognizing God for who he is. You don't worship anybody for who they are. We're all sinners. But we can thank someone and recognize them and offer a little praise. You're doing good. But the church has a little problem complimenting one another because it feels like we're putting ourselves down. You never put anybody down by giving somebody a little recognition. Not a little, a lot of honor and a lot of recognition. But, but, Pastor, and the first time you qualify your compliment with some dumb preface, like, I don't want to give you the big head, you just destroyed the entire compliment altogether. You don't ever walk up to somebody and say, listen, I don't want to puff you up. I don't want to put you up. You ought to be putting somebody up. You ought to be saying something good because we are the body. Where's Scott Fosdick? Is he in this house? I see his wife. Scott Fosdick tells the corniest jokes in the whole world. <laughs> and he's been texting me these jokes. It just makes me laugh throughout the week. He just sends me a joke. I, don't, I can't even repeat all of them because I don't, can't remember all of them. They're, they're, not, they're not bad jokes. They're good jokes. You know, like the artists that got run over and no one knows the details. They're very sketchy. Things like that. Just kind of, I just laugh out loud. Sometimes I text him back. Sometimes, if they're really good, I'll send him an emoji chicken. This is the body, you know. It's the body. The body has different members. The body different parts. But we're still the body. We're still the body. Don't destroy the body. Get around and carry the body. Pick up somebody. Help somebody. Put your arm around somebody. Surely we don't have to have an administrative program to get people to love one another. That is in the law of Jesus Christ. That's the body of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, we got to love everybody, but we're not going to love the world until we start loving the church. And we're not going to really convince God that we love him. Here's what the Bible say. If a man say, I love God, 1 John 40, and hated his brother, he's a liar. I love the Lord. I can't stand that guy. Well, then you don't love the Lord. You're just a pretender. You're a fake Christian. I've been waiting to say that for a long time. That's fake news. You ain't never seen fake news until you've seen somebody who acts like they're a Christian but hates people. You can't hate people. You got to love people because you are a people. I hope my children stay in church, love God. But if your children are not serving God, I don't want to be critical of you because I have children myself. And beside, I'm still praying and believing. I got faith that we're going to get them back to the door. And when the door is there and they walk through the door, they're going to be saved because Jesus said, I'm the door. I didn't give up on your sons. I didn't give up on your daughters. I woke up this morning praying for several children that are grown this morning. He that loveth not his brother, for he that loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God 
You have to love your brother. Let me give you another preface. I'm almost done. This preface starts like this. It's like self-absorption. To self-absolve yourself from, from, uh, uh, from the wrong. I don't like to talk about anybody, but... I don't have anything against them, however. This is what I have against them. I'm not bitter, but drink a little of this poison. Bitterness is a poison you drink yourself hoping someone else will die. Oh, I'm preaching the word because I'm believing that this body could ever love, love one another and carry one another. The people will come and they'll say, hey, I need somebody. I got to have a church like that. I got to have a church that loves all the people and all the characters of the church. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, I like nice shoes. There may come a day when I have to have a shoe with just the elastic band. I hear you, mother. Pray against it. Why do you say pray against it, mother? I know, I know. Jesus. (laughs) But just rejoice over me that I have shoes I can tie. Thank you, mother. Just because I want to rejoice over that a little bit. There's coming a day when I do the last thing, but right now, let's just rejoice over that for a second. Thank you. But I know what you're saying is right. It bothers me, though, because I think you are right. It's hopefully you're not prophetic. <laughs> I don't like that guy's shoes. So what? How about his soul? How about his heart? How about his life? How about his eternity? You don't like when somebody drives? So what? Forget about that. How about where he's going in God? Not where he's riding down the road or how he's getting there. We got to love everybody. We got to carry everybody. We got to be born of the church. And the church must carry everybody that's in the church. I'll tell you right now. Here, Pastor, right now. If everybody who's here will just stay faithful to the Lord and we will grow up together in the Lord, we're going to have a mighty revival and embrace one another and we'll never have enough room. Here's your brother. That's your sister. This is your family. your family please stand now (sighs) I pray in Jesus name help us Lord pray with me right now for the body Lord let the body be fitly framed together with love let it grow up in love and compassion and long-suffering, longer-suffering patience with one another. Let grace and mercy be given out, Lord, freely among all the people. Come on, let grace be given out mercy for all the people. Let the men of the church hold up each other, be responsible for one another. Let the ladies of the church love one another. Let conversations 
be filled with encouragement, Lord. If it's a correction, Lord, let it be. That's okay. That's in the word too. But let it be guiding the lives of people. I pray for this body, Lord. Keep this church together so we can grow and be an example, Lord, of what a body of Christ looks like in this community. When you see us, Lord, help us to see, help us to have faith so that you can see our faith for one another. I believe in you. I believe in you. Before you leave this house, you need to be telling somebody, I believe in you. You're going to make it. I'm with you. You ought to be saying that. I'm with you. I believe in you. You're going to make it. You're not, you're not going down. We're lifting you up in prayer and in conversation and in community and in, and in dinners and in service. Listen, if you're the only person that's helping one person, go find another brother or sister. Say, would you help me help them? we got to love our brother and get together. You don't need me to give you a position to do that. That is already the command of Jesus Christ.